Okay, so a little bit of a reminder here, a review maybe we could say. Two weeks ago, the first Sunday of Advent, I preached about uh, this, this guy, Augustine, St. Augustine and his mother, Monica, talking about how Monica, or excuse me, Augustine was raised, he was not baptized, and he was, was not Christian. He didn't believe in God, he didn't believe in Jesus, and he was living a life of immorality. And his mother, Monica, was a fervent Christian, right? She, she, she loved Jesus, she would attend Mass all the time, and as she would attend to Mass, uh, she would offer so many prayers for her son uh, while she was here. And then while she wasn't praying and offering Mass, uh, coming to Mass, she would go to her son and try to convince him right, to believe in Jesus, to urge him to believe in Jesus, to give up his immoral ways and to turn towards the Lord. And Augustine resisted, resisted, resisted. He even moved away to the point that she followed him, right, and was just persistent in her efforts, in her prayers, and in her uh, trying to convince her son. And then eventually, Augustine got to this point where he started to open his mind a little bit, and he started to open his mind to the possibility that Jesus could actually be who he says he is. And then there was this moment, this sort of grand moment, where he was finally convicted to pick up the Bible and to read. And what he read was this first or the second reading that we heard two weeks ago from the letter to the Romans, where St. Paul says, you know the time, brothers and sisters, it is the hour now for you to awake from sleep. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is advanced. The day is at hand. Let us then throw off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves properly as in the day. When Augustine read this passage from St. Paul, this very passage, it was his moment where he knew, okay, I need to surrender myself to Jesus and receive baptism, receive all of the sacraments. In fact, he did, and he ended up becoming a bishop, a great bishop, and one of the great saints of history. Uh, so during that homily two weeks ago, right, I talked about how we all probably have people, almost certainly have people in our lives who are very like Augustine, we have different Augustines in our lives, people who we look at their lives and we see, I'm not really sure this person has any relationship with Jesus. Or sometimes it's like, I'm not, even, I'm not sure. It's like, I know this person doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, right? We have this. And so part of, part of that homily, uh, right, because there were two kind of goals to it, or two, two objectives that, that I talked about how I was hoping our parishes would engage in uh, during the season of Advent. So the first one was to consider, how can I reach out to the Augustines in my life? How can I reach out to those people in my life who either seem or definitely do not have a relationship with Jesus? And not just to reach out to them, but to find a way or to try to urge them, convince them to believe in Jesus, right? Evangelization. And one of the, the, the primary thing that I proposed was writing a letter to people, right? And I, I had a little template that if you wanted to write a letter to someone, you could, you could do that. But then I also said, if you don't want to write a letter, that's fine to think of some way to reach out to people. That was the first objective. The second objective was, though, is if we're going to reach out to Augustine in our life, we need to be more like Monica, right? We need to be those people who are converted, right? Who have thrown off the works of darkness, who have turned away from sin and have put on the armor of light, who are trying to pursue lives of virtue. So it's to reach out to the Augustines, but then to grow personally in my relationship, in your relationship with Jesus, Again, the primary way I proposed that was through this app, but I, but I said, if the app isn't the way, then to find another way for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus through prayer, through reading of the word of God, through living a life of virtue, right? So that's what I talked about two weeks ago. Then last week, I talked about uh, how, how this, this personal growth, it has to include what John the Baptist calls people to in the desert. Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this, this reality of personally growing closer to the Lord, it has to be, or it has to include within it repentance. Not because we're bad people, but more than anything, because Jesus has come, right? And this guest who comes into our homes, he's such an incredible guest. And so we want to make sure our homes, our souls are prepared for him. Just like if you had an unexpected guest coming to your house, you would feverishly, as quickly as possible, clean up so that when the guest gets there, things are presentable. So too, Jesus has come, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, but now we believe he's still coming again, right? And so we want to prepare ourselves by turning away from our sins, and to talk about how this is actually an exciting thing, right? The, the whole region of, of uh, around the Jordan River went out to John because they were just so excited to hear his message of repentance. They were so excited to hear that the kingdom of heaven had come. And so this personal growth, right, it's, it's something that, like, yes, I have to repent. I have to turn away from sin. But I do it with a sense of excitement because, because the invitation is so incredible. The guest is so incredible. And then I talked about, as far as reaching out to other people, how part of my reaching out to other people, the Augustans in my life, might include repenting to them for ways that I or you have harmed them or misled them. Right? About how sometimes we, in our lives, we can give people false ideas about God, about Jesus, and so we actually need to repent to people about that. Or sometimes we might misbehave around people, treat them poorly or, or cause them harm in some way. And so part of my reaching out to them is to repent and show them what Christian humility looks like. Right, so that's, that's what I talked about. So now, now this week, this is, this is something I've kind of been wrestling with a little bit back and forth because what I, what I wanna do is I wanna ask some questions. Uh, but, but, you know, there's, there's the whole thing, like don't ask a question if you don't wanna know the answer, right? Because the questions I want to ask, they're, they're maybe a little bit challenging because they require all of us to be a little bit honest with ourselves. And, and maybe for some of us, actually, the questions aren't going to be challenging and they're going to be really easy. But what I've experienced so far in the two masses today is that they're a bit challenging. But at the same time, as I wrestle with these questions, I just, I, this morning I was praying and we could, we could debate about whether the Lord spoke to me or whether it was just my own idea, whatever. It, it's, either way, it seems like a good idea to me, so we're going to go with it. <laughs> And it's this, right? If I don't ask the hard questions as your pastor, if I don't ask the hard questions, then how am I actually going to know whether I'm being an effective pastor for you or not? <clears throat> if I don't ask the hard questions, how am I going to know if the messages that I'm preaching are really hitting home? And, and if they're not, right, then in some ways that reflects more on me than on you. And so in, in so many ways, I can ask the hard questions and I can get answers that I'm not looking forward to and that doesn't, doesn't necessarily turn on you in any way, but on me, rather. So anyway, so here are the questions. Two simple questions. By a raise of hands, how many of you have either already or begun to reach out to somebody, to an Augustine in your life, to invite them into a relationship with Jesus in the last few weeks? In the last few weeks. Great, great. Some have, some haven't. How many of you, by a raise of hands, in the last few weeks, have made a conscious, intentional decision to grow in your relationship with Jesus, either through prayer, through reading the word of God, through studying what the church teaches, through living a life of virtue, turning away from sin? Great, more of you, great, that's good. 
The thing is, though, right, it's not all of us for both of them. So, yes, to celebrate and rejoice in the ways that we have chosen to grow, to celebrate and rejoice in in those of us who have chosen to reach out to other people, absolutely. But but the thing is, right, these things that I'm I'm asking or these things that I'm, I'm tasking us all with, these are things that if we look at the history of people who have followed Jesus, these are not optional things. And so as, as I, I ask you and task you with these things, the thing is, if anyone didn't raise their hand, again, you're not a bad person, but it is absolutely a reason to stop and ask yourself, why not? These are not optional things in the Christian life, evangelizing people. This is something that Christians have always done from the beginning to the present day. And personally growing closer to Jesus through prayer, through reading and studying the word of God, through reading and studying the doctrines of the church, through repenting of sin and trying to live a life of virtue. These are things that Christians have always done as like we're talking about the bare minimum here. And so if if, if you're not doing those things, again, I'm not trying to shame you because there are times in my life when I recognize, oh my gosh, Right, just this last week, there was a moment where I had to decide to turn away from something that wasn't necessarily sinful, but it also wasn't necessarily virtuous. I had to turn away from it because it was occupying too much of my attention and not giving me the freedom to really love God the way that I know he wants me to love him. So I know, I know that this can sometimes be challenging and difficult, sometimes even just to do the bare minimum, right? But if, if you're not doing them, then we got to ask Why? And remember, I mentioned last week that if, it, like, for example, the call to repentance for the people, the general populace, they were excited and eager to repent of their sins because they knew that Jesus was coming. And so again, if I'm not excited about that, if I'm not actually excited to repent of my sins, to confess my sins and to be forgiven, if I'm not excited to open up the Bible and try to understand it as hard as it may be to understand sometimes or a lot of times, If I'm not excited about that, then I suggested that it it means one of three things, that either I don't understand what's going on, I don't believe what we're teaching, or I just simply don't care. And either way, this is just a really great place to reflect. Why don't I understand? Why don't I believe? Why don't I care? And then from your reflection, right, let yourself be fascinated by yourself. Let yourself be curious about yourself. You know, why do you think the way that you think? And again, this, I, there, there's a big reflection, because I talked about this too last week, that when John is preaching in the desert, his message of repentance, when he sees the religious leaders come out to the desert, his tone of voice shifts dramatically. Remember what he calls them, you brood of vipers. John speaks very sternly to the religious leaders of the time. And I'm sure, actually, that he would speak very sternly to the religious leaders of our time. Because I look at the church today, the leadership in the church, and I see that as leaders, we are scattered in what we're teaching. We are scattered in what we're believing. We're scattered in the way that we're living. And this is a big problem because we're the leaders, right? And if we're leading people, that means it's possible that, or it's more, more than likely, it's, very, it's happening 
that there are leaders in the church who are misleading other people. They're leading them away from the Lord Jesus rather than closer to him. And I just, I just think of, of just like this, this simple parish, right? You've had, you've had a number of pastors over the, over the years, over the decades. And I don't know what your pastors taught and I don't know how they lived. But there's a pretty good chance that within them, there was at least one who taught things incorrectly. There's, there's a really good chance that you at one point had a pastor who told you, you don't actually have to read this book. It's not that important. There's a really good chance that at one point in time, you had a pastor who told you, don't worry about those who don't practice the faith. The Lord will take care of them. Which may be true, but the Lord taking care of them might not end up to be a very pleasant thing. You see this? Like, so I, I see this, and, like, and I understand that this can be difficult, right? For, for me, I understand the value of having one pastor come in and teach, teach something, and then another pastor come in and just kind of continue off of what he's teaching. So that there's a succession of preaching the fullness of the truth that the Catholic Church teaches. But I see that that's not always happening. So I feel bad about that. And at the same time, I myself am convicted that I have to preach the truth. And so sometimes if I come in and I preach and it seems like, gosh, I don't know where Father's getting all this from. This, is, this seems like it's new. I assure you, the things that I'm preaching are not new, but in fact, they're very old. I'm convicted not to preach from my preferences, but to preach what is in the word of God and what is in the doctrines of the church. That's what I'm convicted about. Yes, I have preferences. And sometimes I might mention those preferences. But if I do, I'm going to let you know that they're my preferences, rather than saying, this is what the Bible teaches and preaches. Right now, so okay, we can ask this question. Why bring this up, right? What's, what's the big deal about this? Well, this is the big deal. This is like, why, why are these things so important? Why is it so important for us to try and go and get the lost and bring them into the family? Why is it so important for us ourselves to try to live lives of virtue? Why can't we just be satisfied with where we're at? Well, in a very practical way, nobody in the world is ever allowed to be satisfied with where they're at. Anyone in any profession, like forget about the church for a minute, in any profession, it's expected that people in their professional lives are always trying to improve. If they're not trying to improve, what happens? They lose customers or they lose their job altogether. If we expect this of people living in the world, how much more for us as Christians should we expect ourselves to grow? And again, it's not that, that we have to have this sort of false sense of pressure on ourselves, but, but to recognize, right, that, that none of us have our lives fully conformed to the life of Jesus yet. The letter to the Hebrews says, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. And until we get to that point, that's just all a sign that we can continue growing. None of us has a perfect understanding of the Bible yet. And that doesn't mean that we have to be Bible scholars and understand Greek and Hebrew so that we understand every little detail of it. But all it is is it's a sign that there's more for us to learn. And, and, and the point of learning is so that we can receive the fullness of what Jesus wants to give us. Well, what does he want to give us? Well, our first reading in our gospel passage point out to us what he wants to give us. What does it say? The desert and the parched land will exult. The steppe will rejoice and bloom. They will bloom with abundant flowers and rejoice with joyful song. What is it? 
He's talking about all these places that are desolate, that are lacking something. And when the Lord comes, he's saying, then these things are going to come to life in a new way, in an abundant way, in a way that could never have been expected. It goes on, right? They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So strengthen the hands that are feeble. Make firm the knees that are weak. Say to those whose hearts are frightened, be strong, fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication. Imagine living in such a way that you're never afraid of anything because you know that God is with you. Like you know it. And so when, when people around you are afraid of this thing or that, you're not afraid because you know that God has come with vindication. And then what? The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be cleared. Then will the lame leap like a stag. Then the tongue of the mute will sing. Right? These, these impossible things, these, these things that are, are, are disordered and broken, suddenly they will all be made whole again and, and they will be filled with new life. This is what the Lord promises to those who receive his promises in their fullness. And then what happens, right? Jesus comes and the disciples of John come and Jesus just says, go and tell John to read all of the promises of the Old Testament. Go tell John to read Isaiah 35 and see that I have fulfilled all of it. And then some. The invitation that Jesus comes to offer, it's just too great. It's too great a thing for us to miss out on it. It's too great, right? It's like, imagine, imagine someone, someone offers you tickets to the Super Bowl. They say, I'll pay for your tickets, I'll pay for your flight, I'll pay for your hotel, I'll pay for everything that you need, your food, everything. Right? Even if you don't like football, people around you would be like, you'd be foolish to not take that offer. How much more for the kingdom of God, Jesus comes and he offers us abundant life, not just like surviving, not just getting by. He offers us abundant life, abundant joy. How much more foolish would we be to not take him up on the offer? But the thing is, right, just like with the Super Bowl tickets, everything might be free, but you still got to get on the plane. You still got to go to the game. You still got to stay in the hotel. So too with Jesus. Everything is free, but you still got to show up. You still got to engage in a relationship with him. And so if you're not doing that, then what? You're missing out on the promise that he gives. And if you're missing out on the promise that he gives, what do we call those people? Fools fools. I tell you these things because, you guys, I look at the world, and sometimes I look at the church, and sometimes I look in the mirror, and I see too many fools. I see too many people who are letting themselves be fooled to think, well, everyone goes to heaven. I'm not that bad a guy. I'm not that bad a gal. That may be the case, but Jesus is pretty clear in the Gospels. Not everybody goes. Not everybody is admitted into the kingdom. But only those who do what? Who, who walk on the highway of the Lord. This will be the last thing. Isaiah 35. So our reading skips a little bit. So it talks about this. And a highway shall be there when the Lord comes. And it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not pass over it. And fools shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. 
right? Only those who are walking on the highway of the Lord, the holy way. What does it mean to be holy, to be set apart, set apart from sin, set apart for the Lord God? So if, I, my, if my life is not set apart from sin, that means I'm not walking on the holy way. If my life is not set apart for living a virtuous life, that means I'm not walking on the holy way. And I'm associating myself more with those who are not on the way than with those who are on the way, which means that I'm not associating myself with the redeemed, but I'm associating myself with the fools. And that's a great tragedy. The thing is, you guys, as I've, as I've in my imperfect efforts to walk on the holy way, to walk on the highway of the Lord, I found this, that as I have learned more about this holy way, as I have separated myself slowly, slowly, slowly from sin, as I have learned more and more and more about the Bible, slowly, slowly, as I've learned more and more about the doctrines of the church, I found that in those moments, it's like my weak hands and my weak knees have been strengthened, and it actually gives me a, a greater kind of confidence to live my life for the Lord. It's this incredible cycle upward that as I give more of myself to the Lord, He then gives more to me and it fills me more with confidence so that actually then I find myself more capable to reach out to other people. I find myself more capable to explain the Bible to people. I find myself more capable to explain the Mass to people. I find myself more capable and willing to pray with people, to enjoy good, authentic Christian fellowship with people. But that's only because I'm involved. I'm engaged in this upward cycle. I'm engaged on the highway of the Lord. And it can be the same for you. So this is the, the encouragement this week, ultimately, right? It's the same that it's been the last two weeks, and I'm sure it will be the same this week. And every week, apparently, it takes 22 minutes to explain. Reach out to people and invite them into the family of God, whether they're fallen away or whether they've never been a part of the family. And grow in your relationship with Jesus with, with intention, with conscious choices, so that together as one, we can walk on the highway of the Lord, the holy way, and we can share this beautiful, joyful life with other people.